Good morning, St. Luke's. Good morning. So because I'm relatively new in town, I still get excited when I discover things here in the United States that I hadn't discovered back in England. During this season, friends have recently introduced me to many, many variations of the peppermint and chocolate combination. <laughs> All of which, I have to confess, I'm now very keen on. But the most interesting experience of this season for me has been the Christmas Hallmark movie. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, as far as I can tell, each movie follows a reasonably predictable plot, which involves a highly unlikely series of events that culminate in an equally unlikely happy ending. <laughs> I confess it's possible that my cold and cynical British heart has some way to go in order to fully appreciate all these movies have to offer. <laughs> And today, for those of us who've journeyed through Advent on previous years, just like with the Hallmark movie, we know what's going to happen. For the past three weeks, we've been in Matthew's Gospel, but it's not until today that we found ourselves back at the very beginning. Week one of Advent, we, we started off in chapter 24, and we were told to be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Week two brought us John the Baptist and his message of repentance. And then last week, we heard about his imprisonment. These readings bring to mind the seriousness of our current situation, in which the future often feels very uncertain. And if Hallmark movies are anything to go by, our readings over these past few weeks have been sadly lacking in happy endings. <laughs> As Christmas gets closer, the readings draw our attention to the birth of Jesus and to his special status as God's son. Our psalm this morning is an entrance liturgy suitable for a coming king. And Paul, in his letter to the Romans, proclaims that Christ is the son of God. And then there's the very interesting way that Matthew in our gospel this morning chooses to interpret the reading we heard from Isaiah, by which I mean Isaiah. <laughs> so this morning we heard about King Ahaz. He's the king of Judah and he's concerned because of his plans, uh, he hears about plans to attack his kingdom. So naturally Ahaz is afraid. So God sends Isaiah to tell him that all will be well as long as he stands firm in his faith. Isaiah tells Ahaz to ask the Lord for a sign, but he refuses. Instead, he puts his trust in the Assyrian king, and things do not go well. God, however, ever loving, promises a sign anyway. And Isaiah proclaims, Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. Now, Matthew and other Christian interpreters take this to be speaking about the birth of Jesus, which prompted many, many questions for future readers. While Isaiah's word for Ahaz concerns a young woman, Matthew seems to suggest that the young woman is, in fact, a virgin, and that she came to be with child by the Holy Spirit. 
Listen again to verse 23. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now this verse has confounded Christians for centuries. Why? Well, because, and here's my British ability to speak in an understatement coming through, it's generally considered unlikely that a person would be with child from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's unlikely that a virgin would give birth, and it's also reasonably unusual to be informed of all this by an angel. Now, many of us know this story very well because every year just before Christmas, we watch a version of it, a version of it, acted out by little children. As a parish priest in England, I never tired of seeing the little people's rendition of the Christmas pageant. There was always a tiny boy dressed up as a shepherd with a dish towel slipping off his head, and it was not unheard of for someone to drop a very plastic baby Jesus. My favorite memory, though, was when a small Mary and Joseph knocked on the door of the first inn, and they asked if there was any room. The little boy playing the innkeeper, instead of shaking his head, told them to come on in, because there was always room at his mum's house. <laughs> Completely and wonderfully derailing our pageant. <laughs> But because the events of the Christmas story are so unlikely, it can seem like watching a Hallmark movie. We know the plot line, and if we hang on ch in church until Easter and beyond, we're guaranteed our happy ending. For many believers, the virgin birth is an important part of this story, but it's one that it's better not to ask too many questions about. It's something we just need to accept. For others, however, the virgin birth belongs in the world of make-believe. A well-known bishop in the Church of England said a few years back, I wouldn't put it past God to arrange a virgin birth if he wanted, but I very much doubt that he would. And whichever way one approaches it, whether you simply accept it or whether you certainly do not, What's easy to miss is that the virgin birth is a way of saying something very important about Jesus Christ. While he's human, Jesus is distinct from all other humans. He's truly human and truly divine. Jesus is, as we heard in our reading from Romans this morning, the Son of God. And it's tempting to look back and assume that the early Christians didn't really understand the implications of what they were talking about. But even in the fourth century, John Chrysostom, a preacher who was so good he was given the nickname Golden Mouth, wrote this in response to Matthew's Gospel. How then, when the Spirit is accomplishing miracles, shall we be able to express their precise causes? For we remain ignorant of many things, even while learning of them. How could the infinite one reside in a womb? And how could he that contains all be carried as yet unborn by a woman? 
Some more recent commentators have responded by saying that Matthew simply invented the virgin birth in order to fulfill a prophecy. But I think it's more likely to be the other way around. There's something very unusual about the birth of Jesus. And for Matthew, Isaiah's text makes some sense of it. And if we place this extraordinary birth within the broader context of the Bible, it begins to make more sense because we see a common thread forming. From the very beginning in Genesis, we hear of a God as one who brings life. And even more than that, God brings life when it's unexpected and unlikely. Sarah gives birth to Isaac, even though by her own account, she's just too old. Then Hannah gives birth to Samuel and Elizabeth to John the Baptist. There are signs all the way through that point to a God who acts in ways that surprise us, which comes to its fullest expression, not only in the birth of Jesus Christ, but in the resurrection. And during the sixth and seventh centuries, theologians began to write homilies on Mary, centered on her title Theotokos, which simply means the one who gave birth to God. And in offering a body to God, Mary offers the opportunity for exploring the implications of what it means that her son is divine. And one of the many contemporary theologians to do this is Dolores Williams. She died just a few weeks ago and was the forerunner in what we call womanist theology, a theology which centers the experience of black women. And she writes this, the spirit of God in Jesus came to show humans life, to show redemption through a perfect vision of writing relations between body, mind, and spirit. And this ministry of writing relationships involved raising the dead, casting out demons, and proclaiming the word of life that demanded transformation of tradition so that life could be lived more abundantly. She grasped better than many the implications of Jesus being fully and divine, of him being Emmanuel, God with us. So I began by comparing this story that we tell in Advent to a Hallmark movie. And while a Hallmark movie might be equally unlikely with respect to the events that take place, it differs today from our gospel reading in one very important way. Nothing really changes at the end of the movie. It just gets better, very better, I have to say, um, for one or two lucky fictional characters. Whereas the angels in the Christmas story symbolize that the life of heaven was breaking into earth. The coming of Jesus meant that everything in the world was turned upside down, including its politics. Human history is interrupted. God with Mary demonstrates the most radical solidarity with humankind that comes to fore through doctrines like the virgin birth. And even more than that, God invites us to do the same by sharing in the ongoing constructive work of solidarity with one another, 
as we seek to participate in works of transformation. Now, this might begin with something as simple as taking a poncetta from the bud hall and giving it to someone as a reminder of a community that loves and values them. Or it might look like being involved with longer-term works of justice, in which we seek to bring an end to gun violence, poverty, and racial abuse. And whatever we do, we do it while trusting in the God of our stories, who with Mary demonstrates the most radical solidarity with humankind. Shepherd of Israel, may Jesus, Emmanuel, and Son of Mary save us, restore us, and lead us in the way of grace and peace, that we may bear your promise into the world. Amen. <laughs>